everyone, and welcome once again to All the WrestleManias. I'm your co-host, Tim Hackman. And I'm your co-host, Rich Sigwald. Thanks for listening to us today. We're really excited to get into WrestleMania 20. It's in our name. It's what we do. Um, So we're happy and thrilled to be able to break it down for you. We hope you enjoyed our most recent popcorn match episode on the Anoa'i Wrestling Dynasty. Rich took an in-depth look at the huge, um, both literally and figuratively, (laughs) uh, talent in that family, uh, including the Wild Samoans, Rikishi, Yokozuna, the Usos, Roman Reigns, and much, much more. So check it out wherever you find your favorite podcast and give it a listen. So our episode today is all about WrestleMania 20, as we said. Um, but first, we wanted to just you know hit some of the highlights of some new wrestling content and uh, kind of what we're up to. Rich has been hard at work churning out variations on our theme song for you. Uh, he's got a few uh, really fun ones that we'll be putting up on YouTube and on the website real soon. Yeah, they're great. Uh, <laughs> I, they've... Basically, I just sit down and suddenly like, what if I did this? And then something horrible comes out of my mind and it happens. What if Charlie Parker came back to life and could only play all the WrestleMania's theme songs? Yeah. um, What if I sang five-part harmony of the entire theme song? You know what? We should get into ASMR. Oh, yeah. No, that's a good idea. So, So hot right now. I'm tingling, Rich. Stop uh, it. All right. Well, that's um, the point. Some other happenings. We're going to be at Baltimore Celeb Fest 4, which is happening in May. I think it's May 15th, I think. Um, there's a lot of really cool people on the schedule to be there. I'm personally very excited about meeting Greg the Hammer Valentine. And, Rich, I yeah. know you had some guys you were excited yeah, about. Yeah, I've, I've already bought my uh, photo op for uh, Sting and for Jake the Snake Roberts. Hell yeah. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. I uh, hope other people will join us there. It'll be a great time. Yeah, I think uh, Thunder Rosa is supposed to be there, too. She's one of my favorites from AEW, so I'm kind of hoping to see her and, and not be weird about it at all. I mean, she was also one of our favorites in uh, Lucha Underground, too, when she was wee young. Yeah, she was the snake lady, whatever her name was. Yeah. Um, and we also just ordered ourselves some all the WrestleMania T-shirts because we can't help ourselves. So, yeah, if you're going to the Baltimore Celeb Fest, you know, look for us. We'll be the... Um, two giant Dorks nerds in the matching shirts. <laughs> two yeah. giant nerds in matching podcast shirts. So say hi for sure. Um, the other thing where we'll be wearing our matching shirts and creeping everybody out is the AEW Dynamite show coming up at UMBC. That's also in May, I think. Um, yeah, that's May fourth, Star yeah. Wars Day. Oh shit, that's even closer than I realized. So yeah, it's pretty soon. I better start working on myself, Tanner. Oiling up. <laughs> Get all, get all greasy. Uh, yeah, so again, we'll be there. So if you see us, uh, you know, come say hi. Uh, we got fancy business cards, too, so we can give you one of those. Uh, let's see. Any other wrestling content? Oh, yeah, The Young Rock is back on NBC and on The Peacock. Um, if you've read the blog, we kind of nerd out a little bit on The Young Rock. And look, we know that this is it's not wrestling history. We know that a lot of the shit didn't happen. Uh, we're okay with that. The actors are super charming. Um, the stories are, are cute and sort of heartfelt. Uh, I personally enjoy it a great deal, even while I realize it's not, you know, like I said, it's not a documentary, people. They got to give an Emmy to that guy that plays uh, Andre the Giant. Like, oh, my God. that <laughs> The holiday special, he, like, ripped my heart out of my chest. So, yeah, so adorable. Great. 
Yeah. And the um, the modern day segments are slight futurist segments where Rock is running for president and he's doing all these interviews with uh, you know NBC or I th- I think are kind of amusing too. They're sort of like poking fun at the whole um, you know political news cycle thing. Yeah, it's great. All right, I think that's all the non-WrestleMania content that we have for the moment. So I guess, you ready to do this? Uh, Yeah, let's get into it. All right. Also, just a reminder that you can find us on the web at allthewrestlemanias.com. That'll take you to our podcast homepage. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at allthewrestlemanias. And we love getting your comments and questions on Twitter at WrestleManiaPod or by email at allthewrestlemanias at gmail.com. So reach out to us through one of those methods. Uh, you know, send us your comments, your questions. We love to get your feedback. And thanks again for listening to us. Yeah, All absolutely. Right. So WrestleMania 20, WrestleMania Double X, WrestleMania Dosa Keys, WrestleMania Forever, literally. <laughs> it lasts so long. We're gonna try the to do this podcast in less than the four hours and thirty minutes that it takes to do the show, but no promises. Um, at some point, Richard's child is gonna come home from daycare, and then we're gonna have to stop one way or another. So, <laughs> uh, so it was held March fourteenth, two thousand four. It was held in Madison Square Garden, of course, where it all began. The attendance is listed at 20,000, but that's a suspiciously round number, so I'm not exactly sure what that what that means. Uh, the pay-per-view buys on this are just a little over 1 million, 1 million and 20,000. And again, the tagline is where it all begins, dot, 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 again. That makes no sense. No, it doesn't. But I, th- I think it's because we're back at Madison Square Garden, like the first one. That's the only thing I can think of i don't know i mean grammatically it's bad yeah it can't be begins again it should be where it all began <laughs> yes again maybe i it hurts my brain okay yeah. let's move on yeah as a as an aging english major right it, it makes me a little bit mad but again i want to turn into william sapphire here but the runtime on this one is four hours 30 minutes and 55 seconds and once again we've got michael cole and taz on announcing duties for the SmackDown matches, and we've got JR, Jim Ross, and Jerry the King Lawler on announcing duties for the Raw matches. So we got the split announcing things again. Rich, is there anything about the history of this one that you wanted to talk about a little bit before we get started? Put things in perspective. Um, at this point now, the WWE has split their pay-per-views into the brands as well. So there's some uh, pay-per-views that are Monday Night Raw, talent and then there's some pay-per-views that are smackdown talent and then the big four is where they all come back together um again right that's (laughs) again is uh so like wrestlemania SummerSlam, the royal rumble and survivor series all feature both brands while the other ones uh, like first blood or whatever you want to call them um have have only SmackDown or only Raw talent. Um, so this is the third WrestleMania that happened at Madison Square Garden, and this apparently is the highest-grossing WWE event ever at Madison Square Garden. Wow! Um, where I think they grossed like two point four million dollars in ticket sales, I believe. Holy cow! Yeah, that's a lot of money. Um, yeah. I thought it'd be fun to look at the history of Madison Square Garden with this because actually stirring up the looking at the revenue stuff, it turned up some interesting things. 
that I was unaware of, such as in 1879, the first artificial ice rink in the world was installed at Madison Square Garden. In 1898, Tesla, Nikola Tesla, demonstrated a remote control robot in Madison Square Garden. I'm sure that was terrifying to everybody in 1898. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be terrifying to me now. Yeah, yeah. I'm very, the, I'm very easily spooked. Oh, yeah, robots. Uh, in 1934, the first college basketball game took place between Notre Dame and NYU. And in 1940, it was the first televised basketball game uh, came from Madison Square Garden, and it was Fordham University versus Pitt. Uh, the first televised boxing match was in 1954, and that came from the Garden, and it was uh, Joey Giardello uh, versus Willie Torrey, and Giardello won by knockout. In 1962, John F. Kennedy's birthday celebration was held at Madison Square Garden, and that is where Marilyn Monroe sang Happy Birthday All Sexy oh, yeah. to the President and creeped out everybody. And, <laughs> Awkward. Uh, I'm dude, pretty sure his wife's there. <laughs> I'm pretty sure John slept on the couch that night, right? Like, there's no John, fucking way. No, yeah. and but yet with like an ankle monitor so that uh, Jackie knows where he's at. <laughs> <laughs> um, she knew. She knew all the time. Yeah, and to get into some wrestling history there, in 1984, uh, the Iron Sheik puts over Hulk Hogan, and that basically created Hulkamania. Uh, in 1985, we had the first WrestleMania, and in 1988, the first SummerSlam was at Madison Square Garden. And in 2002, the first Elimination Chamber match, which was at a Survivor Series, took place at Madison Square Garden. Uh, So in terms of storylines, it's modern day WWE, so everything's convoluted and we don't have enough time to really (laughs) break down the ridiculousness of most of the stories. What we will go into is the main storylines for the title belts. So Triple H and Shawn Michaels had fought to a draw at the Royal Rumble. And they wanted a rematch at each other again. Uh, but Chris Benoit won the Royal Rumble that year. And that gives him a legit shot at the title. And so to settle everything and make everybody happy, triple threat match. The uh, Eddie Guerrero versus Kurt Angle story is practically identical to the Triple H and Booker T angle from WrestleMania 19, where angle doesn't feel like Eddie is a proper representation for the brand and should not be in a champion. Um, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Eddie comes up from the ghetto and the, in the streets and he's not legitimate. He does drugs, blah, 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 blah. And that's pretty much where we're at for this WrestleMania. All right. Nice. Thanks for running down the history for us. I just looked up the inflation calculator while you were talking and the, 2.4 million that this show made in 2004 is today would be 3.6 million dollars. So, off of a single event, that's pretty damn impressive. That's a lot of money. Yeah, for real. All right, so let's get down to it. The uh, Boys Choir of Harlem does "America the Beautiful," and we've talked a little bit before about you know how we we sort of enjoyed these musical beginnings. Uh, you know, kind of the pageantry to these shows. It sort of went away for a little while, but I think the big difference here is the. Uh, Iraq war is in full swing. And so we're all in mandatory patriotism mode. Um, but the boys choir does a nice job. The boys choir uh, knocked it out. They were great. Um, and it was also very obvious that they had cut the mics that were made to pick up crowd noise. Uh, so that 
uh, you didn't have some asshole screaming <laughs> during the voice <laughs> choir singing. Very smart, smart move by production there. Um, and then you get a little video intro. It's 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 pretty darn ridiculous. And Vince is on a dark stage, and you get the voiceover. Twenty years ago, one man had a vision. It began here, and it would change our world. I mean, this isn't penicillin. Like it didn't change the world. I mean, it changed wrestling. It changed sports entertainment. It yeah, gave us Hawkamania. I don't know if any of those things changed the world though. First, I have a question. At WrestleMania 19, didn't Vince and Hogan fight to decide who created WrestleMania? <laughs> That's true. They did. And the cat fight girls fought over this. And it was very right. clear and like it was decisive that Hogan created WrestleMania because he won the match. Well, so now the next year we have a video package saying, forget all that. Vince did it. <laughs> That's the golden rule, Rich. He with he who has the gold makes the rules. I saw that on a sign at Walmart. I think it's true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. And we also get the uh, where it all begins again because they just they can't help themselves. Uh, and then that video ends with Vince and Shane and a little baby McMahon, um, you know, just promising us more generations of McMahons and WrestleManias. Um, so, which is hilarious now that Shane has been fired from the WWE. <laughs> yeah. All right. So. This uh, this is a monster card, like just in terms of length <laughs> and uh, and the number of like special matches and on and on and on. So as we were sort of planning out this episode, I think we both kind of came to the conclusion that we may need to kind of do some skimming of these early matches and maybe less exciting matches to get to the actually better parts of the card. So if we don't talk in depth about your favorite match, we're sorry. Um, you can email us, you can tweet at us, you can get very angry if you want. We don't care. Um, but but you gotta... need to understand the sacrifice we made to sit down and watch all four and a half hours of this <laughs> WrestleMania. <laughs> and once again, Rich's child will be coming home at some point, and we're going to have to deal with that. So, I mean, at some point, i got to cook dinner, and yeah. at some point, I need to go to bed and <laughs> get up tomorrow. So, <laughs> And continue um, your life. Right. All right. So with that in mind, we got John Cena versus The Big Show to kick things off. This is a WWE United States Championship match. It's a SmackDown match. It's our first John Cena appearance on a WrestleMania. That's exciting. Um, what do you want to talk about here? Anything? Um, well, um, this is back in the day when I liked Cena because uh, John Cena would freestyle on his way to the ring. So he didn't do that in this, but he did drop one line at once he was in the ring that he's itching to beat the big show, like a penis with an STD. <laughs> That's disgusting. Uh, <laughs> I was like, I don't think again, grammar. I don't think it works that way. I don't know. Also how much direct experience does John Cena have with STDs that he's uh, able to make that analogy? Yeah, it doesn't. It, ugh, ugh, I don't want to think about that. Yeah, he's super over here, though. The crowd is yeah. is really into him. We're not quite to the point where he sort of gets overexposed and people start the Cena sucks chant. So this is all still uh, babyface um, over for for Mister Cena. Yeah, um, and on the opposite side of that, Big Show looks like shit here. Like, uh, he he looks awful. He looked really fit, tight. At the at WrestleMania 19, but just a year later, it's it's bad. Um, but Big Show is doing a better job of of the whole less is more approach. Being a big man, pushing him around, throwing him around, standing on him, pushing on him, punching him, kind of kind of fight as opposed to any kind of real maneuvers. 
Yeah, I mean, so Big Show starts out kind of on top here, as you would expect, because he's friggin' monstrous, and he beats up Cena for quite a while. Um, Cena makes his comeback. I, I sort of read this match, honestly, as kind of a throwback to Hogan and Andre. You know, again, I mean, the, dipping into the WrestleMania history and the the giant versus the, you know, the major baby face. Um, and his equivalent of the slant, Hogan slamming Andre is to pick up the Big Show on his shoulders um, for his finishing move but uh the first time big show kicks out yeah that's a that's a really good analogy here of like if you just if you don't have the time to watch this match just go watch andre versus hulk hogan and then be slightly disappointed <laughs> and <laughs> and you'll that match this... is sh- that match is so much shorter too so it, that's yeah. better but yeah it is really impressive when cena gets the big show up on his shoulders for the i guess what the, what do they call it back then the stfu um, and then he does it again after hitting the big show with brass knuckles yeah. as well. So again, and it, and it's even like Hogan doing heel stuff as the face. Yeah, uh, this is this is the meteoric rise of John Cena starting right before your very eyes in this match. And even the uh, announcers say John Cena has slain the giant. It's like all right, in case you didn't quite get it at home. All right, uh, I think that one. That wraps that one up pretty quickly. Got a little quick little interlude with Jonathan Coachman backstage. There's a whole bunch of uh, cameos as he's kind of wandering around. I think we saw Teddy Long and Eric Bischoff. Did you catch anybody else in that? Johnny Nitro was in in the room with Eric Bischoff. Um, Teddy Long, right? So like it had a it was like a Goodfellas kind of segment (laughs) where like he's walking through the through the hallway talking to people that he knows, saying hi and stuff like that. Like he's a made man or something like that. Watch out for this guy uh, over here. Huh? Yeah, yeah, kind of thing. And then, then he goes into Eric Bischoff's office, and Bischoff tells him to go find the Undertaker because uh, it's supposedly the Undertaker's there. It's like, well, we know the Undertaker's there. He's on the card. Um, <laughs> I freaking hope so. I hope he's there. Yeah. And then we get an evolution promo with Randy Orton, and Randy is confessing oh. to uh, committing felonious assault on Mick Foley by kicking him down a flight of stairs. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I know how you feel about Randy Orton, Rich. It's okay. Oh, my God. He's so boring. And, like, he summarizes what everybody's already seen first. That's how he starts his... This is where a lot of the time of that four and a half hours comes from. It's like, this promo is, like, I don't know, like, eight minutes long. And it's just Randy Orton just talking and talking. And, like, Ric Flair is standing next to him saying nothing, just smirking. And it's ten times more engaging than Randy Orton in this segment. If you've got two guys to put on camera, and one of them is Randy Orton, and one of them is Rick goddamn Flair, like, what? that's not even a decision. You know, you don't even have to flip a coin. Like, that's an easy one. No, you put Space Mountain on the mic. (laughs) And let Randy Orton just be pretty over in the corner. Yeah, he could stand there and, and look whatever he looks like. He should be smirking, and Flair should be talking. All right, so that ends finally. Uh, and then we get on to a fatal four-way for the World Tag Team Championship belt, which is the Raw Tag Team belt. And this one, all right, you guys ready for this one? It says Booker T and Rob Van Dam. So yay for Booker T. Um, the Dudley Boys, Garrison Cade and Mark Jindrak, who, neither of whom I remembered. Sorry, guys. Uh, La Resistance, which is Rene Dupree and Rob Conway. And... Uh, I don't know. I don't. So first of all, I don't remember half of these guys. So um, no offense to them, but there is zero pop for love resistance when they come out. So I don't think that crowd then even remembered them. (laughs) I mean, I know French guys are always bad, right? They're, uh, they're always, 
permanently bad. Permanently bad. I think this was probably also around the time of the whole, you know, Iraq War, Freedom Fries, horse shit. Um, so, you know, there's probably some anti-French sent- sentiment going on there. I don't, you know, I don't have a whole lot to say. I, I did wonder why yeah. Bubba Ray's shorts were so short. Um, they're uncomfortably short. Yeah. Yeah. For such a big guy. Those things need to go to the knee if you're that size. The real things that I really only noted down with this one is that when the match breaks down in a predictable way, uh, I feel bad that Booker T is now stuck in the tag division, which is getting less and less attention made obvious by the fact that like they can't even bother building up a real feud uh, to just have two tag teams face each other for the championship. It's got to be a fatal four-way tag match because they just want to do all the tag teams at once and not really bother with them. Jerry Lawler is a bit more tame about his commentary on Booker T in this match. And also, so RVD gets the pin on the guy from Love Resistance to to continue as champions. And at that point, the Dudleys, nor Jindrak and Cade had ever been made legal participants in the match. They were never tagged in. Yeah, I so I did a little quick math while I was watching this, and there are 48 possible combinations of, you know, of individuals. So, you know, usually when you watch these matches, like every individual gets a turn, at least at one point. Um, but yeah, 48 combinations and only 12 of those combinations involve the actual champion. So that, you know, statistically, that means that the winner and the title is most likely to be decided by someone other than one of the champions. And that is the reason why these fatal four-way matches suck balls. I also want to point out that all my favorite moments from this match involve Booker T. He's still such a stud. He like does a uh, super kick and the crowd goes, Oh, (laughs) that's a really good one. And then I I don't understand what like WWE is looking at at this time. Like, how are they not seeing that Booker T needs to be upfront with everybody? Like he needs to be in the mix for the title at this time again, nonstop. Yeah. So he should be beating all these guys and shouldn't even be a thing. He also does a really bitchin' uh spinebuster kind of late in the match. That was that was really textbook. So all right, one fatal four way down. We have actually another one of these on the card. It's not coming up just yet, but right now we gotta look at Jonathan Coachman a little bit more. He's still looking for the Undertaker. Um I actually got a kick out of this segment. He finds Mean Gene and Bobby Heenan in a, what is it, like a storage room or something? Um, Yeah, and and they they are... uh, (laughs) They're making out. They're porking Mae Young and Moolah. Hell yeah. But when they first come out, they were both all disheveled and like kind of looked like, you know, Gene and and Bobby might have been making out. Yeah, it was kind of like, huh, interesting. That's cool, guys. I ship it. it. I ship it. (laughs) Yeah, you know, whatever you got to do, man. Yeah. so yeah, then Lawler says, "Oh, they were probably playing Naked Twister, which is not a thing, Jerry. Like, just no. No one even plays normal Twister. Are you Are you ready for Christian and Chris Jericho? Yeah, I just want to point out that it takes ten minutes to get from RVD pinning La Resistance to the opening bell of Jericho versus Christian because these damn video promos and interruptions in the show." And it's just like setting the tone for what we get in future WrestleManias of, oh my God, it's so long and not because there's a ton of matches. That's really bad. I didn't clock that, but that's that's awful. Yeah. So the video set up for this one is Jericho and Christian are feuding over Trish Stratus. I don't know. She's with Christian and then she and Jericho are fooling around. There's like a really extra gross 
close-up of Jericho and Trish kissing that made me want to throw up. I, I don't know. It was just a bunch of shenanigans. It doesn't matter. Um, but I do, you know, I'm, I am, I was sort of hopeful for this one. There's two, you know, really talented athletic guys. You know, I like the Canadians. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What do you think? I noted that like Jr. mentions how Jericho probably isn't keeping count of how many WrestleManias or matches he's been in. But then it turns out JR is actually wrong that we've learned that Jay, uh, Jericho has kept an immaculate record of every match that he's ever been yeah. in. <laughs> and he rates him, he rates himself too. Yeah. He says, Oh, that was a five star match. Like, all right, Chris. They're all five stars. <laughs> Just like how we think all of our podcast episodes are five stars. Right. Well, that's because they are. But not all of Chris Jericho's matches are five stars. No. Chris Jericho was Dave Meltzer before Dave Meltzer became Dave Meltzer today. <laughs> where he just thinks everything is that he likes is great everything's amazing i did think that there was some interesting storytelling in this match that jericho who's normally a much more technical wrestler is actually doing a lot more brawling there's more striking and kicking in this match keeping the illegal holds on right up to the end of the five count and stuff so that like really selling that like they're just wanting to try and hurt each other most without getting uh disqualified um christian locked in a really impressive texas cloverleaf on jericho the ending of this match is shenanigans um trish elbows jericho by accident and christian rolls him up and gets the win and then like jericho is trying to talk to trish afterwards and then trish turns on him hits him and then uh, uh christian grabs a handful of trish's hair and they start making out like all rough style in the ring <laughs> That's um, gross too. yeah i mean I'm not going to kink shame if that's what you like. That's what you like. Um, but it was kind of weird. And like the crowd is super hot now that Jer that uh, Trish has turned heel. <laughs> well, so, I mean, the way I read that was that the whole thing was a work, right? Even, like all right. of her messing around with Jericho was even a work. So, I mean, that's that's uh, that's commitment, you know, like I, mean, I assume they at least got to third base, you know, all for uh, just to bamboozle him at WrestleMania. So. Right. Just to make him look like an idiot. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't really need much help there, but he doesn't. Um, the other move that I wrote down for this one is and Jericho gets the walls of Jericho, but Christian is real close to the uh, ropes and the edge of the ring, and they both kind of spill out like while they keep the hold on. Uh, oh, which yeah. I thought that was, was really pretty, pretty cool. That was probably one of the more impressive moments of this whole WrestleMania. Yeah. And I think you observed maybe last time or the time before that Christian has a derp face, and it hasn't gotten any better for this one. Yeah, at least some of the baby fat's gone now from it, but he and he's not making the intentional like her 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 kind of face <laughs> that he had been making. Somebody must have had a talking with him. Yeah. I also really don't like when the male wrestlers like manhandle the female wrestlers and like slap them around slap them around and stuff. I I don't know. I like I liked when Lucha Underground used to do the male and female, you know, together. That was more of sort of an equal thing. Well, there's some pieces here where like Christian like kind of just slaps trish around just i don't know it just always comes across as ugly to me and i don't care for it yeah i mean there's something to say about like the environment that the the world building that wwe does builds this very much um a bit of a uh male chauvinist angle that uh women are more property and eye candy than they are human beings um and then you see behavior like that and treatment like that, and you just kind of it. It feels gross, especially in um, looking at it through a twenty twenty two lens. Yeah, for sure. 
So, um, all right. So that wraps up that match, and we get uh, Mick Foley and The Rock backstage. Um, you know, I'm excited to see them here together. They're both, you know, kind of past their main WWE heyday, but you know, we we like those guys. But that backstage means more and more cameos. We got Hurricane Helms, uh, Jimmy Superfly Snuka, Don Morocco, uh, Rosie from the Anawai family. Um, I kind of, at this point, we kind of both thought maybe that they're just doing these cameos, so we have to pad our in memoriam segment on this episode. But um, it evened out a little bit after that. Yeah. And also, they're just doing it to get them the payday. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad Jimmy Snooker got paid, and I'm always glad when uh, Shane Helms gets paid because that guy's cool. Did I ever tell you my Jimmy Snooker story? Uh, I feel like I'd remember, so probably not. Yeah, so um, Jimmy Snooker was performing at a MEWF show at the Catonsville Armory, and I went to it uh, with my dad. And you know, the wrestlers always do autographs and stuff like that during the uh, intermission and stuff and snooka didn't come out to do that so after after the whole event ended i waited by the locker room like everyone else was doing to wait for the the wrestlers to come out and snooka comes out and i'm like mr snooka can you sign can you sign and he just ignores me and just keeps walking and like three other kids come up to him and he just ignores all of them and walks right out of the building and leaves wow and someone um, from MEWF tells me, Jimmy doesn't like kids. He doesn't talk to kids. He won't <laughs> sign for kids. Oh, man. Yeah. And like at intermission, like he wouldn't even do like the like the $10 Polaroid yeah. photo or anything like that for people like all the other wrestlers are doing. Because I think Jim the Anvil Neidhart might have been at that same show. Oh, man. So, yeah, it was uh, it that's that's burned into my memory now. And that happened. <laughs> almost almost 30 years ago at this point and i just remember snooka being a dick <laughs> oh that's yeah that's really that's pretty shitty so yeah. how, how many times have you told your therapist that story uh this is the first time i've told you yeah i yeah so. I mean, you need to you do some work on that i think <laughs> it's clearly causing some problems so i still have nightmares about snooka <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know, that time that Georgie Animal Steel was kind of mean to me, but that was just because I was like standing there, like staring at him. And he was like, come on, kid. Like, what do you want? Like, like, like Santa Claus in the Christmas yeah. story. <laughs> yeah. I was a little bit starstruck. All right. Let's see. What do we got? A handicap match. We've got Evolution, which is Dave Batista, Randy, I'm so boring, Orton, uh, Rick, Space Mountain Flare versus the Rock and Sock Connection, which is Mick Foley and The Rock. Um, this one runs 17 minutes, so it's a long one. Um, Mick is back after about four years off, I think. This is the second WrestleMania appearance for Randy Orton and the first Dave Batista appearance. I, well, I don't know. Um, this actually turned out to be not terrible, but also, you know, three of these people are The Rock, Mick Foley, and Ric Flair. So what do you think? Well, I would have rather this, instead of being... A handicap match of like put Flair and The Rock against each other in a in a fairly short match. You put uh, Orton and Foley together, and then you find someone else for Batista to fight in three singles matches. Like this is, and then yeah, you can have all of them go over the Foley and The Rock and whoever, so that evolution gets built up. Because like we start off with a fantasy match between Rock and Flair, and there's some great spots, and then it just goes away. 
Yeah. <laughs> and it lasts for freaking ever. Like, I I did note that the crowd, like, loses its mind every time Foley does anything. Like, even yeah. just a punch, like, they pop for him. Randy is, like, really overselling throughout here. I felt like Dave Batista actually didn't get to do very much, and that's because there's too damn many people in this match. Right. Uh, just, uh... <laughs> All right, listeners, we're we're just uh, making perplexed noises, which uh... I'm sure is not the most compelling thing you can hear on the internet, but I think that kind of sums up our reaction to this match. I'll also say that if you like chops, this is a match for you, because everybody gets chopped at some point. In our yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's, I, I wrote down flare chops on the rock. Yikes! Like, yeah, they, they were devastatingly loud and sounded very painful. Even his chops on Foley, and Foley's wearing a t-shirt, are, yeah. are sound really loud and <laughs> painful. Yeah, there was one highlight, and that's Flair and the Rock uh, exchange people's elbows, which was amusing, uh, but it turns a circus this match it's 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 almost it's almost a comedy bit yeah i wrote that down down too actually i think this is more of a comedy match than anything else um but that exchange of people's elbows that that did make me laugh they both do their strut they both do the people's elbow they do all the stuff there um anything else you want to say about this one of course orton wins (laughs) hate that guy yeah all right, next up, actually, it was a really nice moment, I thought. It was a, it was a little video package from the Hall of Fame induction ceremony, uh, which was an outstanding class that year, 2004. Um, so Mean Gene Oakland then brings all of them out onto stage, you know, kind of get their applause from the Madison Square Garden crowd. So, um, just Mean to... Gene's voice. <laughs> oh, it's it's like butter. And, like yeah. his, and it doesn't age. He still sounds the same as he sounded in the 80s. And it's just such a great timbre. It's amazing. Yeah, even on that one that we talked about last time with the um, the dinner for three or whatever it was called, yeah, um, where it was like maybe one of the last years that he was, or I think he had maybe three or four years to go at that point. So he's clearly older, and it's a little rougher than it used to be. But it's still it's still Mean Gene, and it's just it sounds yeah. He he just had such a I don't know such an instrument. The there was a video package uh, from the actual induction ceremony that was uh, very nice especially with um, Bobby Heenan saying that he wishes the only thing that he wishes was that uh, gorilla monsoon was there. Yeah. That was really nice. Yeah. yeah. That really tugs at your heart. And there was one other thing about that segment and the music of that segment. It's, it's gotta be from a Thomas Newman soundtrack. And I'm either, I either think it was from the road to perdition or Shawshank redemption, but I can't find it. And it's driving me nuts. <laughs> And it's not like quite loud enough for like uh, my phone's music recognition to to pick it up and do it because you know they're talking over it. But if someone out there could please watch that segment and put me out of my misery and tell me what it's from, I'll be ever <laughs> thankful. I'm pretty sure it is the music from Shawshank Redemption, where Andy Dufresne comes out of the shit pipe in the rain. Hmm. Um, or that moment or from that around that scene, but I can't quite pinpoint it. So please, 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 please help wow. me. Yeah. And this has to be extra painful because I know you have like really good recognition of that sort of thing. So, um, 
please folks help help rich out here so anyway can, let's um let me just run down the the class of 2004 again this is a stellar class so junkyard dog he's represented by his daughter latoya ritter superstar billy graham who looks awesome greg the hammer valentine one of my favorites magnificent don morocco big john stud who's represented by his son john minton jr sergeant slaughter tito santana hey yo uh, the king harley race Jesse the Body Ventura, and Bobby the Brain Heenan. And then Pete Rose also gets in for the celebrity wing, and the crowd is a little mixed on the reaction to old Pete. But um, everybody else up there is an absolute star and legend. And this is actually, you know, this is one of the filler segments that I actually didn't mind. No, this was, I actually always like this moment from the WrestleManias. Um, I did get a real kick out of them introducing Sergeant Slaughter as a former champ and American hero, and the crowd goes quite crazy for him, but they don't remember that he he was champion at WrestleMania 7, and he was a heel Iraqi general. Yeah, <laughs> right. Not really <laughs> was, American hero. No, no. Um and I was also kind of disappointed that Jesse Ventura wasn't all flashy uh, like he yeah. used to be. But I think I think that's because Billy Graham was also there and he was mm. kind of a ripoff of Billy Graham. Uh, yeah, so he definitely mind the same vein. Yeah, so. I think that might have been. I'm pretty certain that Jesse Ventura actually tells a story about how uh, he was basically hired by WWE to replace Billy Graham and to be Billy Graham. Um, and that's why their looks and styles were so similar that basically WWE just wanted to remake superstar Billy Graham out of Jesse Ventura. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, somebody, when they introduce Harley race, they say something about him being like legitimate, legitimate tough guy, which is uh, something that I've always sort of heard about him. That he was just a total badass in and out of the ring. Um, I think it was on one of those dinner for three things where they, he talks about, somebody talks about how, how just freaking strong that guy's hands were. And he could just like, he could rip your phone book in half or whatever it was. All right. Nice, nice, nice uh, little moment there. Hopefully I'll get to see Greg the Hammer Valentine at the Celeb Fest coming up. I'm going to tell him how much I love that um, bump where he like stumbles around and falls flat on his face. Um, yeah, his front bump was, was incredible. I feel like, I don't know, I feel like maybe the old guys appreciate like when people um, can call out stuff like that, you know? Yeah. All right, here we go. Um, uh, do we have to do this? Uh, it's, um, <laughs> this is Tori Wilson and Sable versus Miss Jackie and Stacy Keebler in a Playboy evening gown match. Um, the gimmick here is that Sable and Tori were just on the cover and a spread in uh, Playboy magazine. So they're, you know, trying to move some merch. They come out in evening gowns. Sable wants to start the match with their evening gowns off. So, then of course, everybody's down to their underwear. Cole and Taz act like 14-year-old boys throughout, and I hate it. I noted that I should just go take the trash out during this match. The floor of Madison Square Garden had to be so sticky after this bit. <laughs> I will say that I'm happy that there's a real women's wrestling match on the card as well, that this isn't it. So the whole point of an evening gown match it's a gimmick match to where they're all in evening gowns and they're wrestling and they eventually get torn off over time and it causes like tension like oh might see a titty here or something like that it doesn't happen like because you just take them off before you start fighting it 
that's not an evening gown match. <laughs> kind of defeats the purpose. So, f- off. And uh, <laughs> thank God this didn't go for very long. Yeah. So Tori pins Miss Jackie for the win, if anybody cares, which you don't. Um, so. All right. We get a little Benoit, Chris Benoit, and Eddie Guerrero backstage. Uh, Eddie is hot. Hot. <laughs> oh. This sec- this segment is is... You know what, Chris uh, is sort of genuinely scary when he flips out on Eddie here. Yeah, it's like they're they're. I don't know if this is real kind of <laughs> kind of thing, but uh, it, it's a great little segment of like Eddie finally going. This is the this is the rage that you need to have when you get in the ring with those two. You're gonna do it. You're gonna get this done. Like it's really good. Yeah. So he kind of he's using the old reverse psychology on Chris Benoit there. So yeah. that's a that's a great backstage. Moving on, next up is the Cruiserweight Open for the WWE Cruiserweight Championship. And I'm just going to run through the list of participants <sighs> here. I know, more sighing over here. Chavo Guerrero with Chavo Classic uh, in his corner. This is Akio Tajiri, a.k.a. the Japanese buzzsaw. Billy Kidman, shout out to a Pennsylvania boy. Uh, Funaki, Jamie Noble. Nunzio of the FBI or full-blooded Italians, you get it. Uh, Ray Mysterio Jr. Uh, wearing an honest-to-god flash costume. Um, that was after his WrestleMania debut, where he's basically wearing a Daredevil costume. And so I think I kind of right. th- think Ray was like hoping to get sued by one of the comic companies, and maybe he would get something out of it. I don't know. Uh, or cast, maybe he'd get cast. Oh yeah, maybe. Um, let's see who else is in this thing. Shannon Moore and Ultimo Dragon. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. So the thing is, is that like this could have been great. This this was fun. It was fast moving. Um, it really showcased what the cruiserweights can do, uh, but it showed no respect to what the actual cruiserweight guys can do. So why couldn't we just have a Rey Mysterio versus Chavo match? Or Rey Mysterio versus Tajiri match. I loved Tajiri back in the day. I loved Ultimo Dragon. I loved Jamie Noble. Like and Billy Kidman. They're all amazing talents. And we just we get like a 30 second pop of them. Poof, gone, poof, gone, poof, gone. And then suddenly we're Ray and Chavo. And then Chavo Sr. takes a couple bumps, which is spectacular. Um, and then there's a cheap finish at the end of uh, Chavo getting a cheap roll-up, uh, cheating, uh, dirty win over Ray. And that's it. Like, we have... Uh, like, yeah, such- I mean... What this comes down to is like a bunch of guys just kind of standing around waiting for their chance to get in the ring. And then most of them are just eliminated so quickly. I think it was Akio can't even compete because he gets green misted in the eyes. Um, So he can't even come in when it's his turn. So they just skip over him. Rey Mysterio eliminates Billy Kidman with a like an insane sunset flip slash powerbomb from the top. Oh, yeah, that was amazing. I I. I had to rewind and watch that again because it was yeah, fun. that was nuts. Like that was great, and yeah, I agree with you. I I would have much preferred eight minutes between Mysterio and Chavo Guerrero. I would have. It probably would have been a highlight of the card. Yeah, because I mean, it ended up being just seven minutes of uh, cheap spots. Yeah, which is unfortunate. Again, really talented yeah. guys here. Um, Tajiri was great too. I like that guy. I remember those leg kicks. Uh, and those pants that he wore was always sounded like a yeah, crack he, of thunder. He's very reminiscent of a uh, Brian Danielson now um, with those kicks. 
That's a good comparison. They're kind of built the same too. That's a, that's yeah. a good one. So, all right, moving on um, to I'm gonna just go ahead and say to an absolute dog shit of a match. Um, we've got Goldberg and Brock Lesnar. Stone Cold Steve Austin is a special guest referee. You know, ostensibly, this should be one of the highlights of the card. You know, it's clear that they've really been building to this one. There's a little bit of the old WCW-WWE tension and, you know, bringing Goldberg in and it's the WCW version of Stone Cold. Um, Austin has some role to play in sort of the shenanigans to get this going. You know, he sets goldberg up with a ringside ticket so that he can run into the ring and spear brock like i'm, I'm pretty sure that's not legal um and that allows eddie to steal the title but unfortunately none of that really translates to what actually goes on in the ring here right so this is also a match that gets ruined by the internet um all heat and tension get sucked out of this match uh, because the news breaks that uh, Brock Lesnar was leaving WWE to go to the NFL uh, to try his hand at playing for the Minnesota Vikings. And so you have somewhat cheap heat built already just from the involvement of Stone Cold Um and there's some there's some really neat uh, segments that lead up to this. Like Lesnar starts driving around on Stone Cold's four by four, and chugging beer and stuff like that, kind of like a, a mocking of them. And then, but then this news breaks, and the crowd just isn't having it. I mean, it's a savvy New York wrestling crowd, and they all know that Brock is gone. So there's no real consequence to this match. Um. And you have you have two you have two things and you have this pairing of this is a disaster. So Brock can't shoot wrestle with Goldberg, right? But then Goldberg can only shoot because he doesn't know how to actually wrestle. <laughs> he just fucking hurts people. So you have one of the most talented real wrestler people in this match against the person that has absolutely no clue what to do except for pick them up and deliver the jackhammer and spear. And that's exactly what happens here. Lesnar hits his F5, uh, kicks out, Goldberg hits a spear and a jackhammer and a three count. The whole thing's very perfunctory. I mean, it starts really, really slow. They're, you know, they're circling, they're trying to build up the tension, but honestly, the crowd, like you said, they're just, they're not having it. They're, no. There's a, this match sucks chant, I'm pretty sure, at one point. Yep. Um, then there's, of course, then you sold out chants for Lesnar, um, and there's just, there's just nothing, nothing happening here. You yeah. Know, it's a, it's a whole thing's a big disappointment, honestly. Yeah, I remember uh, my dad telling me that this match was going to suck that there's no way this was going to be a good match. And I was like, that's, that's, that's impossible. Dad, there's no, <laughs> there's no way that a match between Goldberg and Brock Lesnar is going to be terrible. Jesus Christ. He was right. <laughs> like, man, your dad knew what was up. I know. I had to go home and like, tell him dad, you're right. That match was, was horrible. And then there's like botches in this match too. There's a really ugly collision in the middle of the ring where their heads collide and they both look stunned, like legit stunned. Um, there were some impressive moments though, like Goldberg does a military press of Brock and then turns it into a spine buster. Like Christ, man. 
Like, yeah, that's just physical strength, though. That's not necessarily yeah. like you know wrestling prowess. I mean, the most talented guy in the ring here is Stone Cold, right? And he doesn't get to do anything, so he's just kind of prowl around the edges. And he's an he's also a non-factor in this match, which is right. a fascinating choice, given that you know he's they've set him up as sort of making all this happen and coming up with the mach- machinations to make this match happen. And then he, uh, he just he just hangs out, so. So I have a conspiracy theory about this, like that Stone Cold wants wants to kind of sabotage this match. Because if you're watching, like the "You Sold Out" chant is happening, and you just and like it's it's somewhat there, it's it's present, but it's not dominant. And then Stone Cold uses a subtle little turn of his head to look at the crowd, and then suddenly everybody in that arena <laughs> is chanting "You Sold Out" in unison. Like oh, he like he like gives like this little cue to the crowd to let them have it. And then that and I think he did that to actually like indicate to them like your stare down at the beginning isn't working. Just fucking do it. Yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. And I think I think at that point Stone Cold probably knew that this match was gonna be shit and that this nothing's gonna come out of it. And so he just kind of lays back and does what he needs to do to get out of there because stone cold is now tied to the shittiest match of all time. Yeah. But I mean, he comes out the best, right? Cause after, after the match is over, he uh, stuns Lesnar and gets a cold beer. And then he sort of, he hands one to Goldberg and it sort of looks like, Oh, okay. We've got the stone cold, the original stone cold and the stone cold clone, you know, kind of closing up the gap here, but no, Goldberg gets a stunner too. So, um, yeah, I mean, of these three men that go in the ring, uh, Stone Cold comes out looking the best, which, you know, good on him. You know, people talk about um, Hulk Hogan sort of backstage savvy and playing the game and all that stuff, but, like, Stone Cold knew what was up. He's also all over this goddamn WrestleMania for not having any matches. He is involved in sort of the buildup to multiple things that happened on this match, which shows you that I think, you know, even though he wasn't really active wrestling anymore, the WWE knew, like, you don't have anybody at this caliber who can pop the crowd like Stone Cold. And so we need that guy to kind of hang around and sort of give his his blessing, you know, sort of even if it's only kind of implicit to this some of this crap that's going on. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a transition period. And I, I would argue that that's the same reason why The Rock and Mick Foley are on this card as well still. Yeah. They're, they have a... a a power vacuum of such at the top of their card that's it, there's it's Sean's return isn't quite there Triple H doesn't quite have the draw that like Stone Cold and The Rock had um Flair's too old um yeah Cena isn't there yet uh they're ref- they're ignoring Booker T um so they have no choice but to try and suck The Rock and Stone Cold and mcfoley back into the into the realm one more time yeah all right so last thing i want to say about this match and you know i I think it'll probably be after wrestlemania 38 till we put this match out but i'm a little worried that this is going to be what roman reigns versus brock lesnar looks like when we finally get that match like two huge guys um who don't quite add up in the ring i think the difference is thankfully that roman reigns is much much more talented than uh, Bill Goldberg, obviously, um, and that Brock Lesnar has had a lot more years of experience at this point. 
um, my, how to put an actual wrestling match together. So that stuff might save it, but yeah, um, they're both more over. So if they do have a long stare down at the beginning of the match, it's going to build up the crowd as opposed to you sold out. Yeah. So, you know, watch her say all this stuff. And then right before WrestleMania 38 news will come out that Roman Reigns is leaving WWE to become <laughs> Aquaman permanently. Uh, and he's never going to wrestle again. And then, you know, then we'll have a, a full on repeat. So, yeah, good. Good thing. Stone Cold will be there. To, and Lesnar uh, can know. see how it feels. <laughs> all right. So let's put that match away because that was hot garbage. Uh, let's move on to another fatal four-way because you know we've only had one of those so far well before that though oh i'm sorry go ahead so we have a flashback of old wrestlemania to where they advertise where the next wrestlemania is going to be oh i missed it yeah so they advertise where wrestlemania 21 is going to be um which is something that we hadn't seen them do in a while and then they set off fireworks from the roof of madison square garden which i'm sure everybody that lives in that neighborhood really loved (laughs) three years after 9-11 mind you right Right. And then Vince McMahon comes out, uh, not in character. Blah, blah, blah. Thanks to crowd. Let's, this is where it all begins again. Fuck you. Okay. (laughs) We get it. I must have, uh, I must have been pooping during that, that bit. I mean, it's a good time to go poop. Yeah. All right. Back to this next fatal four way. Um, you may want to go poop while I run down the lists of, uh, participants here. We've got two cool, which is Rikishi and Scotty Tuhati versus the APA, of course, Bradshaw and Ron Farouk Simmons. Holla. The Basham brothers, Danny and Doug Basham, and the world's greatest tag team, Charlie Haas and Shelton Benjamin, formerly Team Angle, I think, right? I just I just wrote down I'm getting really tired of this WrestleMania. Um, I wrote all. down just nothing going on here, and that this is continuing the demonstration that WWE just doesn't give a shit about tag teams at this point in time. The only, only real note that I made about what's happening in this match is one that Shelton Benjamin tries to do a belly to back suplex on Rikishi, which is hilarious. (laughs) It does not work. Ill-advised. And then um, one of the Bashams, I can't tell the difference between them. So Basham, uh, he takes a stink face uh, from Rikishi. And Michael Cole declares that the stink face is a WrestleMania tradition. This is Rikishi's first WrestleMania (laughs) since appearing as the Sultan at WrestleMania 13. Yeah. But it's a WrestleMania tradition. Fuck you, you Michael Cole. I caught you again. (laughs) What a liar. Are you sure sure about that? Didn't I feel like he gave a stink face to uh, like Mae Young or one of those ladies at a previous no i don't think so i i don't think he had been anywhere at a wrestlemania between 13 and 19 all right or 13 and 20 right we'll put our uh, research department on that this is rich breaking in with a fact check on himself Rikishi appeared at WrestleMania 16, partnering with Kane and giving Tori a stink face. Rikishi also appeared in the freebie match before WrestleMania 18. And now back to WrestleMania 20. Yeah, Rikishi and, Rikishi and Scotty win this one so that they can do their dance. Rich goes uh, into some 
really good detail about Rikishi's career on that latest popcorn match episode on the NOI family. I would take a listen. I learned a lot of stuff. I learned the name of the uh, little, little sumo getup that he and uh, Yokozuna wore, and the um, Mawashi. The Mawashi. Thank you. Uh, obviously, I didn't learn it that well that I could have remembered it there, but. We're hoping to catch him at one of these celebrity things here before too long, too. So I think he's going to be at Celeb Fest 4. I think I saw his name listed at something. Hell yeah. Yeah. That might be good. So, all right. Another uh, little bullshit segment. Jesse Ventura looks awful. He's got a, like a black do-rag on. It kind of makes him, I think he thinks it makes him look cool, but it just kind of makes him look like he's got cancer or something. Um, he looks a little sickly, yeah. He comes down to interview... Um, Donald Trump in the crowd. Uh, the crowd, the I get did get a kick. The crowd is is decidedly mixed on uh, on Donald. They uh, they New- boo him. He gets yeah. a solid boo. New York never did like that guy. Uh, no, for good reasons. Um, and Ventura sort of hints that you know now that he's been governor of Minnesota, he's you know maybe going to run for a higher office. And we may see a wrestler in the White House in 2008. Uh-huh. And this is the second time we had to hear Jesse Ventura say that tonight because he was, he also said that during the uh, Hall of Fame stuff. So it's like Jesse Ventura is definitely trying to use WrestleMania to kick off a political career, uh, extended political career. And he asks Donald Trump for a political uh, donation. Yeah. I'm not exactly sure that's legal, but <laughs> uh, and then Trump says he'll do it. Yeah. Well, well, he doesn't ever let a little thing like legality stop him. Yeah, he asks if uh, he could expect Trump's, quote, moral and financial support. And be like, I don't think that guy has any morals to give you. So uh, He probably actually didn't have financial support for real (laughs) either. Yeah. So that segment is unfortunate. And it's it's over now. So let's move on to the actual Honest to God women's match. Not an evening gown match or a fake evening gown match. This is Victoria versus Molly Holly in a hair versus title match for the WWE women's championship. Uh, Molly is a heel, I guess now, and not a superhero anymore. I kind of liked when she was a superhero along with hurricane helms and they could both fly. Yeah. That's cute. The crowd is really kind of bored. Um, I don't know. The shitty women's uh, women's evening gown match kind of like turns you off from wanting to watch women's wrestling. If that's all it's going to be. And then, but these two actually come out and work a good match because Victoria is good. And Molly Holly is talented. There is a, there is a little kid ringside that's giving Molly shit, <laughs> which is amazing. <laughs> you're this little kid going, you're going to get your head shaved, Molly. You're going <laughs> to lose. She's going to beat you. <laughs> Like this kid is like zero chill digging in on Molly. Where's Jimmy Snooker when you need him to smack some kids around? I know. Victoria gives Molly a backslide for the win and straps her to the barber chair. I don't I don't think most barber chairs are supposed to have straps, but you know, whatever. Um and then shaves her head. And that, that part goes on forever. Yeah, Molly kind of looked like Kane with her head buzzed. I thought that was kind of <laughs> funny. That was unfortunate. Yeah. So, yeah, actually not not a terrible match all told. I don't have a whole lot to say about it, but um compared to the, you know, the crap we've seen earlier is not bad. So, if you've managed to hang in to this WrestleMania this long, this is where your devotion gets rewarded because we've got like actually three matches in a row here to wrap this thing up that are really really good in my opinion. Uh and we start off with Eddie Guerrero versus Kurt Angle for the WWE Championship. And man, am I excited for this one. Oh, yeah. Oh, 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 oh. 
Let's yeah, switch his happy noise as opposed to his exasperated noise from earlier. So This one's delicious. You got two guys that know how to wrestle, and they're going to wrestle, and it's going to be great. And you just know it's going to be great. And because, like, the setup for it, it's great. The story's great. And then while they're introducing Eddie Guerrero to come to the ring, you can still see them out on the ramp breaking down the barbershop set. Or <laughs> 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 the head shaving. Like... Find right. a different can- camera yeah. angle. Run a little video promo while they get rid of the while they get rid of that set, so that like Eddie gets a proper introduction or something, something mildly re- respectful. Well, so now you guys are in a rush, right? Like after right. three and a half damn hours or whatever it's been at this point. Um, yeah, there's really good uh, "You Suck" chants in time to Angle's music, which I always appreciate. Um, the crowd is split between "Let's Go Angle" and "Angle Sucks" chants. Um, which I also appreciate. Both of those things can be true. You can want Angle to to go, and you can also tell him he sucks. Um, I, yeah, this is this is a work of art, actually. So the one that kind of comes to mind immediately was the Angle versus Benoit match from WrestleMania 17, and that was similar in that it was highly technical, and Kurt Angle is is being awesome. I I would say this one is much more like pro wrestling. Um, than technical, if you know what I mean. But I mean, Benoit is much more of a mat technician than Eddie Guerrero is, but Eddie Guerrero does know his stuff, and he, he does keep pace with Kurt pretty well. But it's clear that Kurt is out is is working is outworking him. Um, but you would expect that, and that's how it should be, uh, just because we still know that Kurt Angle is an Olympic gold medalist in, in like amateur shoot wrestling. So Eddie should not be able to beat him on the mat, and that that totally makes sense. And so they really they really do a good job with that. There's a there's a super great exchange that ends with a missed frog splash yeah. and like Eddie gets a second wind when Angles is trying to punch him as opposed to like really wrestle once it turns into like strikes Eddie's like, "Oh, well now we're fighting from the street. I can deal with this." And I felt like Angle must have gone back and watched some of the tapes of uh, Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero fighting each other in WCW. Because if you haven't ever watched some of their matches from like Nitro and stuff, give yourself a little treat. Take some time to sit down with the cock and go watch them. <laughs> That's the Peacock, ladies and gentlemen, the uh, the streaming service, just to clarify. Yeah, that... um that sequence that ends with the frog splash that was that was really awesome so eddie's sort of like sitting on top of the rope and kurt keeps trying to like climb up and punch him in the head or whatever and he does it like twice and eddie like pushes him off and and kurt takes these like full back body bumps off of the uh rope after being pushed off those were awesome there's german suplexes that you mentioned uh there's some snap suplexes from eddie that are just freaking badass um, I, this was fantastic. One of my favorite moves here was where um, Kurt tries to pick Eddie up for the angle slam, uh, you know, which has him sort of going across Angle's shoulders. But Eddie kind of like swings around his neck and then hits a DDT on him. Uh, and oh, he yeah. does manage to hit the frog splash after that one. Eddie Guerrero has four different counters to the ankle lock in this match. And the last one is the most genius that he has. And so... There's a moment angles out of the ring and we see Eddie loosening the, the laces on his boot and Taz brilliantly is filling in that, you know, you've been in that ankle lock so many times it's possible that his ankle is sprained or even broken and it's swelling up and he's trying to uh, uh, relieve that pressure by loosening his boot. 
And so Angle gets back in the ring and slaps that ankle lock right back on. But then we see Eddie wiggle and he puts his foot up against Angle's chest and pushes. And suddenly Angle is just standing there holding Eddie Guerrero's boot and he's confused and he gets rolled up for the pin. That was that was such an awesome finish. And the other thing that Eddie does is he rolls him up and he like wraps his legs around Kurt, like sort of to his backside and hooks both of his feet on the ropes. Like it was incredible. It was sort of reminiscent of that Macho Man finish that we talked about on the wrestling classic where he does like three things at once in yeah. the course of uh, falling off of the ropes. Uh, that that was such a great finish. That was one actually I think that's probably maybe one of my favorite finishes I think I've ever seen in any wrestling match. So it's so creative. It also really fits into, you know, the gimmick or the image that Eddie is uh, sort of constantly portraying, right? Which is that he's this guy he'll he'll resort to dirty tricks if he has to. Um, and nothing in the rules say he's got to keep his boot on. You yeah, know? no, for sure. Well, and and throughout the match, Kurt keeps going back to that ankle lock, you know, and Eddie keeps flipping out of it right so he knows right. that he knows that when angle gets back in the ring after uh he's been sort of knocked out there outside he's going to go directly for the ankle he knows which ankle he's going to go for that was brilliant i mean i yeah. think that's i don't know i can't say enough good things about that match yeah there's there's nothing really to fault that match and it was even like the perfect length too like they yeah. they had the, just the right amount of time total runtime on that one was 21 minutes which sounds long but compared to, say, the 17 minutes for the Rock and Sock connection versus Evolution, it's no time at all. Just flies The right evening by. gown match felt longer than that match. <laughs> so, Yeah. No, that was fantastic. All right, so that's one excellent match to wrap up the show or slide into uh, sort of the, the end of it here. The next one's coming up, and we've got The Undertaker back with Paul Bearer. <sighs> versus Kane. You're going to have to try to keep it under control. Um, so, you know, you guys know, if you've listened to this or read the blog, that Rich is a huge Undertaker fan and that he's an even bigger fan of the sort of the original Dead Man Undertaker. So Rich Rich might flip out here and we can't really be responsible for anything that goes out in this episode. But just, um, you know, if you have small children, it might be a good time to to put the put the podcast on the headphones or tell them to go play with their Nintendos or whatever it is kids do these days. So, so, I mean, we got to set it up with the, the story of like Kane gives this promo. That's amazing. He's a shitting all over the undertaker's American badass gimmick that like you sold out, you abandoned me in the darkness. You left me again. I can't believe it. You're, you, you might be a badass, but you're, actually weak and a wimp and blah 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 and so then we get Kane now he comes out to the ring and he's standing in the ring and then suddenly the lights go out and you hear the oh yes of Paul (laughs) Bearer come over the PA that garden crowd flipped its wig when he does that oh I mean I kind of flipped my own wig if I had one this like eerie like chanting music and like these guys in robes carrying torches comes out and lines the aisle and the crowd is dead silent. Like they can't, they can't believe what they're seeing. And then the undertaker's bells start tolling. And then, uh, you just kind of see the undertaker again. Like you don't, you don't even see him walk out. He's just there in front of the video wall. And he's kind of dressed in like an updated version of his old uh, gimmick of like, uh, he looks like an old West 
Undertaker kind of thing that you would picture out of like Deadwood, but in like leather with a leather duster. The moment he shows up and look at him, you just know that Kane is fucked. Yeah, <laughs> it's, this is not going to end well for him. No, and like there's smoke and the lights are out. There's black lights and there's guys with torches and like shit's about to get real for Kane real quick. And as like the Undertaker is making his way to the to the ring, you get these camera shots of Kane and his face and Kane screaming, "You are not real." You were not like, like he's like shitting himself and like the crowd just goes ballistic. So I think for all the theatrics and all the, uh, you know, just, just pure freaking theater, uh, I give, got to give kudos to Kane and Glenn Jacobs for acting his ass off. He's like, yeah, he said, you're not real. He said, you're dead. He said, I buried you. And you know, he's flipping out. He's got his, uh, um, he's got his mask off here. So, you know, usually you don't get any kind of. Uh, facial reactions from him so but he's he's really selling up so rich had kind of given me a heads up that you know the dead man was coming back here for this wrestlemania um but i wasn't expecting it to be this cool honestly yeah i mean this was shades of like old school undertaker like uh the summer slam where he comes rolling out in a hearse or like the uh was it wrestlemania 9 where he comes out with the vulture next to him on on the chariot and stuff so uh but he just takes it up a whole notch here yeah i didn't take many notes but like this match is almost a squash not quite yeah but like it's kind of like kane is trying but he just can't because he's he's still just thrown off his game by like the real undertaker has come back um it kind of had like that notes of like uh when it was paul bear's undertaker versus ted dibiase's undertaker kind of thing um that they can't believe that the real undertaker's back and like undertaker's landing all of his spots he goes up for old school and like the kane does counter it with a choke slam grip but then the undertaker gets him in a grip and like kane does choke slam the undertaker and the undertaker takes a hell of a bump on it he bounces off the mat <laughs> And like Kane thinks he's finally got him, but then the undertaker sits straight back up and then a tombstone and Jr. delivers the line. He has been tombstone pile driven his demented brother Kane all the way to the outskirts of hell. <laughs> nice. Like Jr.'s back too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This one, this one wraps up in just under seven minutes. So it's a short one. Yeah. I wrote down some of the same things, obviously, you know, Undertaker kind of going back to so those old school moves, big, big boots, big leg drops. Um, there's a nice leg drop on the apron as, uh, that looked really tough. My, okay, here's my only two criticisms for this one. One is I always thought the Undertaker's eyeball thing where he rolls his eyeballs up was cheesy. Like it's like a little, it's a trick that like you learn to do in elementary school. Like it's not scary or whatever. I just think it's dumb. And the other thing is he's wearing his like stupid MMA gloves here which is sort of a leftover from his American badass thing. And it kind of like spoils the aesthetic. I know he's not supposed to be an old West undertaker here, but like, come on, you don't need boxing gloves um, for this. Uh, those are both very fair criticisms. I don't mind the eye roll. It's the tongue that he started doing at this point with it. Like the eye roll kind of is like, is this kind of like an undead kind of looking thing. But then like the tongue is kind of like this, like, 
like monstrous, like snaky look. Like no, it doesn't. Like Gene Simmons. It, yeah, it didn't really fit to, in my opinion. Yeah, but other than that stuff, this match was like ASMR for me. Like I had chills <laughs> with the bells. Like oh no, that was oh, it was brilliant. Oh. There, yeah. There's really nothing to uh, to criticize it there. So fantastic match. All right, you have anything else to say about that one? Do you need a do you need a moment? All right, again. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) All right, so you you can probably bring your kids back in the room now if you want to, listeners, Uh, or not. Maybe maybe it's just best. All right, last match, main event. It's a triple threat match for the World Heavyweight Championship between Chris Benoit, Triple H, and Shawn Michaels. Um so yeah, as Rich mentioned at the top of the show, this one the setup for this one is a Triple H and Shawn Michaels are feuding, but Chris Benoit won the Royal Rumble, so he actually should have you know kind of dibs on the main event at WrestleMania. So you know to settle everything because this is how things work, um, they're going to do it a triple threat. And there's a stipulation here that um, Triple H doesn't have the champion's advantage, so. Um, he does. He can't sort of just keep the belt by uh, count out or disqualification. So somebody's got to win this one. Chris Benoit won the Royal Rumble. He spent 62 minutes in the ring in that Royal Rumble. He did like a Flair esque performance in in that Royal Rumble, and um, so that kind of also a li- telegraphs the result of this match a little bit. Um, this is also yeah. the era where like Stone Cold is just delivering bad news to people. <laughs> so like if you notice through this whole show every time there's like a segment and someone's getting like bad news it's stone cold on his four-wheeler coming rolling out and it's like guess what triple h and Shawn michaels your match is gonna be a triple threat match with chris <laughs> benoit now uh, like, and then he gets back on and rolls out of there like that should have been his after wrestling career honestly just like go around and deliver bad news to people it'd be amazing you can do your laundry on cold water now. <laughs> Guess what? Your lab results are in, and it's taint cancer. Oh, that's your cholesterol's high. <laughs> you got shark aids. Anyway, <laughs> so your um, wife's leaving you, and that's the bottom line. <laughs> She's leaving you for Shawn Michaels. Oh. <laughs> anyway, so um. Yeah, I don't know. There's a there's a funny really. I got a this, the only sign alert I wrote down for this whole uh, WrestleMania actually is during Benoit's intro. There's somebody has one has a Canadian flag. It says "Toothless Aggression" on it. <laughs> oh yeah, well that was kind of his slogan a little yeah. bit. Like, um, like they, he has no teeth. Yeah, so it was, I thought it was interesting that they they introduced Benoit as now residing in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, instead of saying that he's from Montreal, uh, Quebec. Yeah, that's weird. Um, and he did live in Georgia at that time. And I wondered if that was like an homage kind of to the lineage of the belt that's on the line, because this is the this is the World Heavyweight Championship. So it's the old NWA, WCW, Jim Crockett promotion, Georgia Championship Wrestling Championship belt. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. I didn't catch that. Um, they start out real slow and formal. Ref Earl Hebner is checking each man's tights and boots and wrist tape, which is something that we've noticed they do occasionally at this, these main events, kind of make it seem like a real sporting contest. Um, when the bell rings, uh, Benoit and Michaels are sort of fighting each other for the opportunity to to wail on Triple H there. Um, and so I wrote, you know, the, the Michaels and 
Triple H feud may have been the sort of catalyst for this whole thing, but clearly Benoit is here and it's personal for him and Michaels and he's he's ready to to throw down. Basically, like the whole like thing is that they're kind of like like Benoit's the third wheel little kid trying to get in like the Shawn Michaels and Triple H are 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 the adults and Benoit's the child trying to get into the match. Like he just wants the he just wants some attention from somebody. Please, mommy, love me. Uh, kind of thing um and that kind of ends up setting up like the standard triple threat formula that happens uh in these matches to where uh someone takes a bump they disappear for a couple minutes so the other two guys can get their moment and then conveniently as that person one person from that pairing takes a bump the other person is back from the dead and comes back and fights and so you just constantly uh go round and round and round with that until they decide who's going to win yeah for sure and that kind of that kind of happens in this match and it's why i don't like triple threat matches uh normally yeah it gets a little formulaic real quick um so there's some really good moves and some you know, interesting exchanges, and especially as you would expect with with yeah. Benoit involved, there's some really great chops. There's a couple of times where like Michaels tries to punch him, and he like sort of slips it and tries to turn it into an armbar. It's like some judo shit that was cool. There's some back bridge pins. Yeah. Um, he nails three German suplexes on a row uh, on Michaels. That was really nice. Yeah, after uh, after Sean tried yeah. to do it to him, and the crowd booed uh michaels like crazy for trying to do it and then my normal complaint with Shawn michaels is that he oversells and he oversells the suplexes uh yeah that last one he kind of like pops up um so yeah yeah i don't know um so i actually enjoyed this match a lot more than i expected to i have the same problem with the triple threat matches um but this one it did break down into that kind of formula that you were talking about but also there's just enough variety to it um and honestly like chris benoit is just so damn talented that like (laughs) <laughs> that oh, it, so good. it kept it going so, so like you know sean does his like flip over the corner thing and whatever uh, but then benoit uh, tries to put the sharpshooter on and we can't quite get it he just catapults sean into the ring post and sean comes back bleeding like crazy i didn't he, that must have been the hard way right like uh no he bladed himself you can if you go back and look at it while he's got his shoulders on the mat and benoit is is wrestling him into position you can see michaels rub his wrist across his hairline man i totally missed it and then and then he slams his head hand into it when he hits the turnbuckle ring post area uh to really get it going well that was some brilliant blade work then because that was that was yeah it was tough to see um but that's when it because he bounces back off of the ring post and it's like instant. His face is just a bloody mess, and he like flips his hair back, uh, and so the crowd gets a a look at it, and you can hear the crowd react. Crowd gets hepsy. <laughs> yeah, you can hear him react to seeing his uh, bloody forehead there. So, so man, now I got to go yeah. back and watch it. Like, I was looking at the, it was like uh, David Copperfield shit. It's like look over here, and yeah. then it was actually over there. So yeah, it's really good because like I mean. Benoit is drawing your attention, like jostling and setting him up for it. You got sharp eyes. I, I missed it. So some more outside of the ring stuff. There's a lot of really tough moves in this one. They climb up on the uh, Spanish announcer's table. So, you know, RIP to the Spanish announcer's table. Um, both Triple H and Michaels have to cooperate to uh, suplex Benoit. There's a nice, oh, sh- or a nice holy shit chant from the crowd after that one. Yeah. 
Actually, I think the Spanish announce table gets spared. They're on it, but Benoit gets suplexed off of it onto the SmackDown table. So oh. I think the SmackDown table actually eats it <laughs> here. But yeah, it's too uh, bad Michael Cole wasn't there to get hurt. Yeah, he should have. He you she should have taken it right in the face. Uh, Jr. does a really good job of selling Benoit's injury through the commentary off of off of that suplex and like, and it's interesting that like Triple H and and Shawn Michaels both believe that Benoit has been neutralized at that point. So they just head back to the ring and they start fighting like crazy as if Benoit doesn't exist anymore, which has been kind of like the whole story of this whole match. So like, while it does fall into that kind of like um, formula that triple threat matches tend to, it is helping tell the story. Like Benoit keeps trying to force himself into the, into the, into the story and trying to force himself into the action and be the center. And it's just not working. And so the, and triple H finally, you know, thinks that they got Benoit done after that. But of course they don't. Then also, this is something else that WWE does in a lot of their matches that, that I don't like. And that a wrestler lands the finisher, but they don't have the energy to get the pin. And this one was especially egregious uh, because triple H was in charge of the whole like attack against, uh, Sean and then like pedigree Sean and it looks like it should just be done but Triple H then flops over onto his back and is done dude you were just going a million miles an hour a second ago like I don't understand <laughs> how now <laughs> how you don't have the energy well, he's tired now to just lay on top yeah. of him um and Triple H starts bleeding around then too and I I did not see how that yeah he gets bumped into the ring post when they're outside um, but I'm not sure exactly where the where the cut happened so yeah yeah, you mentioned Jim Ross. He's losing his shit on the mic over there. He's like, if anyone in the back can hear me, we need an EMT out here for Chris Benoit. He's, he's dropping yeah. <laughs> a lot of good gods. He's, there's a crimson mask makes an appearance. Uh, he's he's all over it. So, yeah, so Benoit comes flying back in, slaps a He slaps sharp a sharpshooter on Triple yeah, H. That was beauty. That was a beauty. Yeah. Uh, Hunter's Hunter's selling like crazy. He's doing the stone cold like push up move with the crimson mask, and he's like crawling to the ropes. So he drags him back to the center, and then he eats a super kick from Shawn yeah. Michaels, uh, a brutal yeah. one. Looks rough. Yeah, while he's like crouched down in the sharpshooter, so there's like nowhere for him to go to like deflect yeah. to get away from that thing. At that point, Shawn Michaels is actually being openly booed by the crowd. Like it's very clear everybody hates Shawn Michaels, as they should because he's a terrible human being. Yeah, it's an important thing to note that everybody hates Shawn Michaels. <laughs> the Sha- it might goes back to one of my favorite sign alerts. It's not on this special. I, I think it was from a Raw. This guy's sign just says Shawn Michaels can die. <laughs> I think about that sign a lot. That's good. So yeah. So he eats that super kick. Then uh, Ben yeah. locks. I think Triple H into the into the Crippler crossface and is screaming like a <laughs> banshee maniac. Like, oh, it's so yeah. good. He actually reverses a pedigree to get into that move, which was brilliant. Yeah. Um, and then that's when he's like, he does this like cool thing where he like flips over uh, Triple H and to move him away from the from the ropes. So yeah, Triple H finally taps yeah. out. And he's all bloody and like scary looking and like Ben Wallace screaming. It's like, oh, this is, this is, this is some good, this is some good shit. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. And then Eddie Guerrero comes down and like embraces his friend and he's crying and Chris Benoit's crying. Everybody's crying. The mailman and dogs are embracing. And I was crying. Rich was crying. His child was crying. My dog was crying. Everybody was crying. Of the three at the end of this WrestleMania, that one was better than I 
expected it to be. It's probably not my favorite of those three. Um, so maybe it's yeah. time to talk about actually. What do you think was your best match for this WrestleMania? My my favorite match was uh, Kurt Angle versus Eddie Guerrero. It has a clever ending, great storytelling. There's impressive mat and ring work. It, it had everything. I can't really think of anything to fault that match. Yeah, no, it was stellar. I kind of went back and forth between that one and the um, and the triple threat match, but I, I got to go with you on the uh, Eddie Guerrero versus Kurt Angle. So fantastic work from those guys. Fantastic storytelling. That, Like I said, that finish was top notch. What was your worst match? I went with the Playboy Evening Gal match, but it was actually really close between the Rock and Sock connection versus Evolution. And mainly just because like you lure Mick Foley and the Rock back to WrestleMania and that's what you do with them. The match was technically better than the Evening Gown match, especially when it wasn't really an Evening Gown match because they all decide just to take their gowns off beforehand. Like, were they all rented from David's Bridal? And that's why? And like WWE didn't want to pay for them? <laughs> they so, wanted to get him torn up yeah the, the only thing that was going for the evening gal match was that it was short yeah mine um this yeah i don't know there's some real duds on this wrestlemania honestly um i think my worst match is actually the cruiserweight tournament uh, which kind of hurts me a little bit to say because there are some really talented people and really good moments in that particular match but as you said mm-hmm. it's just such a waste of all the guys who are involved i would much much rather have had you know again eight minutes of Rey Mysterio versus Chavo Guerrero this just felt like a fucking waste of time and like just kind of made me mad yeah I mean I think it's it's a demonstration still of them having that their their roster is so bloated and full because of the WCW acquisition still that even splitting in the two brands wasn't enough they could have started NXT now at this point and put the cruiserweights into NXT and had very engaging, great television show themselves. Yeah. They could have called it like WWE international or something. Yeah. Something, 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 but then they would need another two hour television spot somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. um, To do it. So, all right. What was your, uh, Oh shit moment for this one? Oh, I mean, the whole Undertaker's entrance really is is my oh shit moment, and I don't need to diatribe on that again. So I knew it. I knew that's what you were going to pick. Of course, there was. Of course, so funny. Yeah, well, and you're out of tissues from before, so we don't want to get back into it. Um, mine, I think, was uh, Sean getting that color out of nowhere, honestly, um, off of the ring post, and then the crowd getting their first look at his bloody head when he swings his hair back because it's it all oh, happens yeah. like in like such a like quick succession that it's it was actually a really uh interesting moment it's a great blade blade yeah. moment uh it's probably one of the best things that sean has ever done that i've liked that i've seen <laughs> like it was great it was a great it was great that he made himself bleed all right so overall review and star rating out of five i'm giving this one a 3.5 the for this one i started at a five rating and then uh, deduct points along the way, kind of like a figure skating judging. Because in general, I thought that the matches were great. I didn't f- find that there was really a dud of a match on this card, except for the evening gown match. Um, but if you're really being real, it doesn't really count. It's almost like an <laughs> extended backstage spot or something. But then we look at the runtime. Yeah. So that's minus 0.5 because Jesus Christ, it was long. And it didn't need to be. There was some video, like there were some video packages and promos that didn't need to be there. The main event is a triple threat, which falls into the triple threat standard <laughs> format. 
Um, so that's minus 0.25. We have Jesse Ventura begging Donald Trump for political donations. That's another minus 0.25. Um, we have disrespect to the tag titles uh, by not having straight up challenges for them, that they just do these fatal four ways just to get bodies out there because they think that more people in the ring, more people like it. So that's minus 0.25. <laughs> and then letting Randy Orton talk way too long. That's another 0.25 off the score. Right. Uh, letting him exist is, is, is a detriment to this program. If you, so if, that leaves us at a 3.5. If you had, if there was a, a fire and you could only save Randy Orton or Shawn Michaels, you had to save one of them. Which, which one would you save? I would die with them <laughs> for the sake of America. Right. Yeah. This, I'm done. I've had a good run. I think you'd go to heaven for that. I think so too. Good, good <laughs> answer. Good answer. Yeah. Um, How about you? Um, What's I, your rating? For this I one? like that system. I like the uh, I like the points deductions. I may have to try that for the next one. Um, maybe I'll do that for WrestleMania 38, and I'll if I get to zero, like I just get to stop watching, right? Yeah. So I mean, that means you'll probably be done within the first hour. Yeah. Hell yeah. All right. This is a great plan. Um, I didn't do anything nearly that scientific. I, I would probably come in right around where you did, honestly, three and a half, maybe three. Um, it's not the worst one we've seen for sure. It's pretty far from our best one. There are a lot of things to take away from it. Wasting Booker T, two fatal four ways, that whole handicap match. Like I said, the cruiserweight one and Goldberg and Lesnar, all, all bad. Uh, those three matches at the end really bring it up by, I'd say, almost a star and a half easily. And the uh, Hall of Fame stuff, actually, I really liked. I think that's that's good. One of the things I will give this one is that didn't have any performances by Incubus or Stained or Limp Bizkit or any of those folks. Um, so that that's very helpful. It did have an official theme, and that official theme was Step Up by Drowning Pool. So Drowning God Pool was still it. involved, but they weren't there. Yeah. And so that's, and like, I don't remember actually really hearing the song during the show that much. Yeah, I didn't remember that either. I would have probably deducted a half star if I had to. It wasn't like they stopped the show completely and be like, hey, look, we have a rock band here now. <laughs> Let's listen to them. Yeah, thank God for that. Time for our in memoriam segment. So, as we always do, we like to pay tribute to the men and women featured in the episode who are no longer with us. For WrestleMania 20, that is, I'm going to say, Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero at the top as the MVPs of this WrestleMania. Both amazing talents. I'm, you know, really sad watching them here that they're no longer with us. The rest of the in memoriam for this one are Matthew Rosie, NY, Paul Bearer. Garrison Cade, real name, real name Lance McNaught, Fabulous Mula, Howard Finkel, Salvador Guerrero III, aka Chavo Classic, Bobby the Brain Heenan, Junkyard Dog, Mean Gene Okerlund, King Harley Race, Superfly Jimmy Snuka, Big John Stud, and Mae Young. 
So we thank you once again for listening. We really hope you've enjoyed this review of WrestleMania 20. Remember to visit our podcast website for older episodes and other content, including some of Rich's amazing theme music work at alltherestlemanias.com. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at alltherestlemanias. Follow us on Twitter at WrestleManiaPod. For now, we're your co-hosts, Tim Hackman. And I'm Rich Sigwall. Saying so long, everybody. Yeah.